you have a bulletin, but I want you to pull out a bookmark, and this bookmark looks like the one I'm holding in my hand, and it's called Mind Matters, and it's, it's a bookmark that you can, I want you to just put in your Bible, or put in another book uh, over the next half a dozen weeks or so as we go through this series called Mind Matters. There are a couple of passages of scripture I want us to read regularly and commit them to heart. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one of those passages. deals directly with the mind. And um, any of you ever had a moment? Remember in the movie from years ago, What Would I Do If I Had a Brain? Anybody remember this? Yes, what would I do if I had a brain? Uh, have you ever said that to yourself? Don't raise your hand. It's just about someone else? What would you do if you had a brain? It just, it, it's amazing what happens inside your head. The creative work of an almighty God and what he's put together inside of us. And Romans chapter 12 really gives to us some of the keys. This will be one of the anchor passages. The other one's Philippians chapter 4 on the back side, verses 8 and 9. But let's stand together. And I'd, I'd like us to read Romans 12 together. Would you, would you stand with me? And let's read right off the card. And uh, this is one I would, I'd love for you to take to heart. So read it during the week. Put it in a book you're reading. Read it out loud or read it as you drive. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Would you read aloud with me together? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Holy God in heaven, you are our Father, and we come to you in the name of Christ our Savior and the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask that we would be the people who would give to you our whole lives, everything about us, so you are able then to transform our thinking and change the way we do business here on earth, change the way we, way we value and the way we hold and the way we perform in life, transform our thinking and renew us, we pray, so we will know your good and your perfect and your pleasing will. We'll live according to the way you've designed us to live. And we pray this because we know it's not only, not only for our own good, but ultimately it is for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. And the church says, amen? Amen. 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 Take the card with it. You. you may be seated. And let's go to Romans, but let's start at the very first chapter, Romans chapter 1. The mind. What a beautiful thing it is. The mind. Know this, that your mind really does matter. In the series that we're beginning today, I want to talk with you today in what I'm calling a mind map. I'm going to explain to you what happens with our mind, the incredible ability of the mind, and then I want to talk with you biblically about what's happening inside your mind right now. And then in the weeks ahead, not just the map, but we'll go to another message called Mind Frame, which is how you use your mind and frame it up well for the glory of God. Mind shift, how do I overcome bad thoughts? In other words, how do I make my mind mind? Think about it. 
And then mind games. What do I do when my mind wants to flip, go somewhere else, wander off? What do I do with double-mindedness? It's like the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It, There are times your mind just wanders, right? And, And so how do you deal with that? How do you correct the pattern of your mind and the learned patterns of behavior? And then we'll have another message called Mindset. What do I need to think about? Because replacement therapy may very well be the very best therapy for you. Not only get rid of the old thought, but replace it with a good one. And then I want to close the series with a message you're going to call mind-boggling. And that is just how incredibly energetic and creative and how phenomenal we will be as people when we know God's good, pleasing, perfect will because our minds are being transformed by the power of the one who made us, created us, and then recreated us in Jesus Christ. You see, your mind really does matter. You were created by God, and you were created for God's use. He gave you a brain. It's a head on your shoulders. And now you're saying, you sound just like my high school guidance counselor. (laughs) Yes. He used to say it all the time. You have a head on your shoulders, now use it. But it's true. The Lord gave you a head on your shoulders, put a brain inside your head, and he wants you to think. And when you come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, that's a wonderful thing. But that is not the day you flip a switch in your head and say, I'll never think another thought again. No, that is actually just the opposite will happen. You have a mind that is working, but it's sludging through a lot of conflictedness and a lot of insecurity, a lot of misinformation. And when you come to Christ, he doesn't want you to turn your switch off on your brain. What he wants you to do is is now that the Savior is here, he wants to transform your thinking, detox, if you will, what's happening inside your head, and revitalize the brain. And you can be the very best thinker you know around. You could be the most creative, most energetic, the best inventor, the best problem solver, the best negotiator. When Christ comes into your life, God-fearing, Christ-honoring, Holy Spirit-filled people can be the super thinkers of the community because we'd be living the way God intended us to live with the brain that he gave to us. So I I want us to begin today by asking four questions. The first one's this, what's going on inside my head and then what's wrong and how do I fix it and what are the outcomes? Those are the four questions. But first, what's going on inside my head? What has God given to us in gifting us with a beautiful mind? Well, there's a fair amount of writing on this. This could take forever. I'm just going to give you a little synopsis that there's, um, uh, from brainwaves, and it basically deals with this. There are a half a dozen or more functions, really, that your brain does all the time, and it's making connections between these in and out, literally, at hundreds and thousands of connections at, at each moment. Okay? Scientists tell us it could be millions. We just don't know. One of the things that's happening is you have a thing called creative visualization. That's one of the functions of your head. Your mind has the ability to not only see details, but perceive them, get patterns, and uh, capture space and sequence. And left alone, that will deteriorate. But it, it is a wonderful visual aspect of your mind. The fact that your eyeball catches it, your mind records it. Once you see something, you don't unsee it. You know that, right? You know that. A second function of your mind is not only creative visualization, but memory and learning. Memory is a wonderful gift from God. And you see something, and it brings back information, but not only information. If that information was attached to emotion, every time you see that, you not only get the information, you get the emotion attached to it. In fact, it'll actually happen the other way. You get the emotion, and it'll bring back the information. 
And that's why sometimes things open like file cabinets and doors and windows to your own life. It's because of this connectedness with inside the brain. It is a wonderful, it is a supercharged computer. We have no idea just how incredible the mind is. It really is a beautiful thing. The key to learning in the the brain is the the brain's ability to take the information and the the emotion, and, and then you have it for a lifetime. But what I find to be incredible is this. The brain actually codes it, so then it goes to a file cabinet, so then you can pull it out when you need to get it out. Because you know as well as I do, file cabinet isn't good just to put stuff in. You have to be able to get it back out. It's the retrieval aspect is what makes a file cabinet successful. And you know, you've had a name, you've had a name, you've had a name, you can't think of it, and the next morning you get up and you go, hey, yeah, you remember the name? Anybody had that? Yeah. That's your, that's your mind doing th- uh, things to you. And even in, in sleep, your mind is working because it's coding and it moves it during sleep from the temporary memory over to the permanent side. And we are fearfully, we are wonderfully made, Psalm 139. I know that full well, the psalmist said. God designed that short-term memory to move to long. While we're sleeping, the psalmist put it this way, he grants sleep to those he loves. Look at your neighbor and say, you can go back to sleep now. It's okay. He loves you. He loves you. Uh-huh. So when you fall asleep on the couch watching the ball game tonight, you fall asleep going, he loves me. He loves me. And when your kids get you up in the night, they don't love me. They do not love me. Yeah. You see, isn't it amazing, just with these two facets of the brain. Now let me move over to the third. It's called executive planning. It's the idea of a part of your brain called the cortex. It's the, the front part of the cortex, actually, that foresees goals and makes you able to make steps and make plans. And that frontal lobe is also there. It houses uh, what would become identity for you. And so it, when a person has a stroke and can't remember who they are, that's the lobe that got affected. That's the sector. See, Sometimes it hits and it's a motor skill. Sometimes it's a memory piece. Again, we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. What we know is this, too, is the more you use that, that cortex, the better it gets with practice. You work at it, it develops like muscle memory, and it becomes brain memory or mental memory, executive planning. Then there's language and math. Language is so natural because we think, oh, I was just born speaking. No, you weren't. You had to learn a language. You had to learn a language, and that language you learned from other people around you. And if you're an only child, you were raised with two parents, probably, or one parent for sure, two maybe, probably. And so you have pretty good grammar. You, I can tell you when I see a, a sixth-born child, they just go, huh, and he doesn't have to speak because he learned his language from child four and five in the lineup, right? And that's why child six goes, huh, and they go, Dad, he wants more butter. Are you listening? That's his language. You're laughing, but you'll soon be crying when you understand the implications to that. Yeah. And a person with only one child can't figure out why grammar isn't incredible. But you know what? If you were born in a different time than this generation, your grammar would be different. If you were born in a different place in the United States, your grammar would be different. Your, your word vo- choice would be different. If you are born in a different country, you'd learn a different language. And if you would learn a language early in life, it has a better chance of sticking with you because you keep that brain flexible, nimble, they say. It is language and math is the function. And that 
the more flexible you keep that brain, the more you push that brain, the more you're able to, to, to learn and to retain and to gain, and you gain muscle with that, and if you don't, you head towards atrophy. You go backwards pretty quickly. God has gifted us with a computer in our heads, and it, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. You could be walking through a grocery store, and you're in there to grab three things, and in your mind, without even thinking about it, You've added up what it's costing you. And you aren't, you aren't there, but you're close because you've learned to estimate. And you do that without even thinking about it. You're saying, well, I don't need to do that because I hire a guy to take care of my finances for me. And you know what? That guy loves you. If you don't know math, he loves you. Do you know why? Because he can rip you off and you don't even know it. And so you have to be good at math because if you aren't watching your dollars, they'll be gone. There'll be nothing left to watch. And you, that's just a, a survival tactic. Just like language, you've learned that, and just like math, you've learned that to get by in life. How many of you are better with grammar than you are math? How many of you are better with language? Yes. How many of you are better with numbers? Mm -hmm. How many of you are things people instead of people people? You're things people? You like stuff and stuff? How many of you love people? Yeah. How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? Okay, good. All right, good. See, the brain is an amazing machine, that, and God has made it. And, and the more we learn, the more we, we sing, how great you are, God. There's, in fact, we talk about this another time. There's so much more. There's, there's power food that's good for the brain. There's just stuffing. You know what that is? It's just food you eat that's just stuff. Then you got junk food, which is not even stuff. And so you have to say, okay, I want to feed my brain the stuff that's going to make my brain function better. Isn't that cool when you think about it? I just read a post from a teenage kid. He said, I know my dad loves me. He got me up and he gave me a power breakfast. He was going in to take his SAT. And his, his dad helped him get the, the breakfast for him that would get the motor going, get this, get this thing going. He loved it. It's the dad's love language was making sure he powered up his son. And I'm thinking, yeah, because he wants his son to get a job. <laughs> Can I get an amen or a hallelujah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. dad's not a fool. <laughs> See, the, the language and the capabilities within math, that's a part of the function of the brain. And you don't even realize it's happening, but it's happening in sequence with what you see, what you feel, your memory, what you're learning, executive planning, you're putting it in order, it's going in and out, and you're, you're stocking it back like a file cabinet. And then all while that's happening, there's another thing happening called emotional response. And neuroscience is revealing every day, this is the new, kind of the new frontier. This is the outer space for us. It's the inner space uh, of the brain. Neuroscience is teaching us that there's an emotional link to the responses of the intellectual functions. In other words, we think emotion's emotion. It's not. It's really seated in the brain. It's really about the way we think about things. And so emotion is linked to cognition, the way we learn, ability to contain the, the facts. And then when you tie that with emotion, then it's, it's going to tie to it. And when you bring that emotion back, you'll bring that information back. You bring that information, you'll get that emotion with it. See, and, and that, that may not sound like much, but here's the deal. You have a draining day at work, and it causes all kinds of anxiety, and it'll affect your identity, part of the cognition process. 
and then it'll affect the way you relate to people. You'll be snippier with people. You'll have tougher relationships. And you know what ultimately will happen? Your immunity will drop. You'll get sick quicker because you're more stressed out. And you know that's true. And we know that goes back to neuroscience. We know something's happening inside the brain that's triggering certain defenses, fight or flight. And there's another whole science to that. And if you fight, that's going to take a certain amount of energy. And if you're in flight mode, backing up, you're in fear mode, that drains you as well. Either way, you're beginning to drain your immunity system. You're more susceptible to illness, to catching a cold or flu, or even scientists are now even saying things like cancer can come. And so there's this emotional piece to the brain as well. And there's another function called social interaction. It's the type of intelligence we never thought was mental. It's social intelligence, kind of like, uh, kind of like an analytical kind of intelligence, only it has to do with the way you communicate facts. And, and it finds its origin in the brain as well. Social skills interpret not only what's happening, but it helps us interpret it with people. You've been around people who are really smart and they really... They're, they're, they're great people at what they do, but they don't have social skills. You're been, don't point, but you know the kind of people I'm talking about, right? Right. They're the people who walk into a meeting and go, boy, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd get a good idea out of these guys. And they just insulted the whole group. You aren't as dumb as I thought you might be. They're thinking it. And they actually say it. Because they don't have the social trigger. They don't have a clamp on that part of their, their brain. That's why, this is a proverb, not a biblical one, but one we use. How does it go? Better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> think about that. And some of you will not get that until you wake up tomorrow morning after you've slept over it. There we go. You see, your mind is a beautiful gift from God. Millions of switches are happening and they're happening at different levels, and they're crossing at different places. By the way, when you have a teenager, there's lobes to the mind, quadrants, if you will, sec sections or sectors of the mind, and they're not all connected at birth. They, they're there, but they don't, they don't always talk to each other as well as they should. And so the mind is constantly developing. When it gets to puberty, junior high, f fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, now they're starting to connect a little more, but they're not fully connected. That's why you have a teenager who gets into a place where they can't get out because they think, I cannot, they, they don't understand consequences. So they think they're indestructible. And that's how they get into trouble. And it may be an impulsive piece. It may also be a brain piece. They may just not be there yet. So as a parent, you may need to have to pull that back just to hang on to them to give them time to grow up a bit. And that isn't a sin issue. That's an issue of their, their chemical, biological development. You have to protect them. So, if we have this colossal thing called the brain that has millions of switches flipping all the time, and we have this cognitive piece going and lots of education and knowledge and visual and memory, and it's locking in overnight even as we sleep and we're getting math and numbers are flying and language and well, then why haven't we solved world diseases, world poverty? Why isn't the world educated? Why isn't the economy better? Why aren't politics better? Why can't we resolve the uh, uh, global warming or global freezing, however you want to know it to be, and global changes and boundaries of countries? Why can't we have world peace? Why can't we have peace at the dinner table for, 
forget world peace, we'll just take it in the house. And then you realize, I, I, my children think differently than me, and they came from me. That's usually when a mother says, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. You know, it's one of those kind of moms, right? When they start to think, and you regret ever having taught them the language to speak. So, why, why do we have this kind of conflict when we have these incredible brains inside of us? What happened? Well, what happened is we got busted. Romans chapter 1, let's pick up at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godless and wickedness, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Get this. Wrath is coming from God. Why? Because people are suppressing the truth and he's really going after the suppressed truth and the wickedness who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to, made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Stop there. God has made himself known to us. That's general revelation. That's creation. But he's also given to us special revelation. That's the coming of his son. And mankind suppresses the truth because of our own wickedness. And so we ignore God and we short-circuit the brain and we pollute the systems and twist them and now they're in defensive mode to fight against the very creator who gave us the brain. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave, uh, nor glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So we don't recognize him as God nor do we say thanks for the brain that he did give to us. But in their thinking, there's our word, we became futile and foolish hearts were darkened. Get this. We become futile, keyword you have to key in on, and foolish hearts. We are kidding ourselves. We cannot kid the maker. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. We, so instead of applauding the creator, recognizing him as the one who made us and sustained us. Instead of thanking the creator, we said, no, this is our own doing. We are who we are because we made it on our own. And in so doing, we begin to worship our own stuff. That's idolatry. All the values go into the dark. We become futile in our thinking and foolish in our actions. We're only fooling ourselves. And verse 28, the end of the, skip down a bit. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so they aren't keeping the knowledge of God, they're getting rid of it. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. He gives them over to a depraved mind. In other words, God says, I, I, if that's the route you want to take, he's not forcing you, he's not making you, he isn't predestinating you, get over that. The wording is, because you make these choices, God's going to let you take that path. It's called natural consequences. And you're going to have a depraved, broken, and what's it, what is it? Not just life, it's, it's mind. Do you get this? It's in the thinking. And then they end up doing things that they ought not to do, but why do they do it? Because the thinking is, is warped and crooked and foolish. 
at this point, some people would actually begin to defend the sins. Well, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. Because the passage actually, uh, Romans 1 and 2 will actually talk different sins. I think he's just illustrating. He can't list every sin. So people then get defensive. Well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like he is. I didn't kill anybody. And the person says, well, yeah, I shot a guy or two. I can't help it that he died. That was his own fault. And then they move to something else. And they say, but I'm not a gossip. I didn't kill people with words. And others will say, well, yeah, I may be homosexual, but at least I'm loving and, the, and this person who's heterosexual is not very loving. And you're defending your own turf. And by doing that, what happens? You begin to, to fool yourself, kid yourself. And I'm telling you all that to say this. Every one of us, every one of us is in this depravity place. Nobody gets out. And we all defend our own righteousness and then poo-poo other people's sin as if it was worse than ours. And in reality, it's no worse than anybody else's. Uh, Dr. Albert Moeller is the president of a seminary. He puts it like this in his story. He's told, uh, Dr. Moeller grew up, he said, uh, watching on Saturday mornings like I did, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Remember this show? And every Saturday they would find some animal somewhere you'd never heard of before, some beast, something out there. And there'd be big ones, weird ones, unusual ones. They'd go all over the world and film these things. It's crazy. And, uh, and then Dr. Muller would say, uh, like a young boy, he said, one of my favorite pieces was, I, I just love the tigers and the lions. And he said, I loved it when that segment would come. Because they'd have this oftentimes. You, if you watch the show very often, it seemed like, oh, this one will, this will bring people to watch. They would, they would highlight the lion, and the lion would bed down in some deep grass, and he'd wait. And he'd wait and wait until a flock of happy little antelope would come by. And they're just running along, having a good time. And then he would tear out and he was stronger, faster, fiercer, meaner, bigger teeth, greater muscles, and he would tear one of them up and kill him on the path and then eat him right there on TV. I mean, there's a camera going this whole time. And you, you, you couldn't, you, couldn't uh, you didn't want to see it. You knew it was going to happen every Saturday, right? Every Saturday, this lion tore up something. And every Saturday, you stand and watch it in disbelief, like driving by a car wreck, and then, whew. And then Al Mohler says this, never once did I ever see on Mutual of Omaha a lion back up and go, wow, that was violent. I don't know what got into me. What is wrong with me? I need to get some therapy. You never see a lion do that, right? At least I never did. Why? Because it's the nature of a lion to do what a lion does. That's the nature. And what God did with us is he said, if that's what you want, futility in your thinking, foolishness in your heart, that's going to be your nature. That's what's going to be, that's, that's, that's what's going to define you. And that depravity, scholars say, is called total depravity. It affects everything about who we are and what we do. Muller would go on to say this. 
The depravity is so bad, it becomes the nature of who we are. And it affects, it, it, that effect goes back to the fall, but it affects little things we don't even think about. Things like ignorance. We simply don't use our brain like we should and could. Distractedness. We get off track. We lose track. We mentally go into sleep at times. We're forgetful. It's because our brains don't sort things out because they're carrying the weight of other things. We're distracted, so then we become forgetful. We become prejudicial. We assume the worst in people. We assume that our sins are better, somehow cleaner, somehow more pleasant than their sins. We're prejudicial. We assume the worst. We're intellectually fatigued with inconsistencies and apathy. We have dogmatism and closed-mindedness because we don't have room in our lives for full education because we're too busy defending our turf. We're too busy fighting the war. There's intellectual pride, vain imagination. The list keeps going. It all concludes, verse 32, Romans 1, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but they approve those who practice them. Get this. They approve those who practice them. So they're downright proud about the sin. That describes our society. And you know what? I could come down hard on a particular sin right now. And if I did, it would be one that I don't commit. And that wouldn't serve us at all. And you could come down on a sin yourself, one that you don't commit. And that wouldn't serve you well at all either. And apart from the mercy and the grace of God, we stand, like the text says, without excuse. That's what's broken in our brains. So, how do we fix that? Chapter 2. You don't have excuse, verse 1. And you pass judgment, end of verse 1. Verse 4. So you do, are you going to show contempt for the riches and the kindness and the forbearance and the patience? Do you not realize this is the grace of God? It's God's kindness is intending to lead you to repentance. He's trying to get you to change your mind, and he's being patient with you. And you need to get this in relationship to Romans 1, where there's the wrath of God. It may make you want to run from God, but understand this. He is mad at the sin, but he is being patient with you and me. Because he wants you, verse 4, to come to repentance, to change your mind. Our beautiful mind in its original creation it was beautiful, absolutely perfect, but it got busted, broken by sin. And God wants you to repent, change your mind, and, and instead of defending your stance, we have to admit the problem and just openly admit it to God. I can't fix this, God. And apart from the righteousness, chapter 3, verse 21, apart from the the law of righteousness of God has made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what class? Who believe. There's the turning point. You may be saying, oh, I've got to clean up my act, get rid of this sin. No, that would be moralism, and you can't do that. Why? Because you're busted. It's broken. I can't do it either. All I can do is turn to Christ and trust him. That is the wonderful message of God's grace. He says it's for all, go back to the text, verse 22, for all who believe, it's for you, it's for me, it's for any of us. It's for all of us. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He's saying it doesn't matter who you are, or where you came from, or what your sin is, or what kind of sin you have, it does not matter. 
mean, he says Jew and Gentile, he's saying it's for everybody, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are justified freely, though, by his grace through redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We have to own that. I'm a sinner, God. I don't deserve this, but you can, you can untangle this. I can't untangle it. And, and you know, part of you is saying right now, you don't understand my upbringing. I don't know what's chemical, what's biological, what's in my head, and what did I learn from my family? And I'm telling you, you know what? You were born into a family that had sin, so you have it genetically, but then you learned sinful patterns from your family. No family's perfect. And so it is, it is difficult to untangle. So don't even try. You go to the judge and just plead the mercy and believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, this is open to all who believe. That's how you fix it. And then what happens is then God, because Jesus comes into your life when you trust him, God now can begin to detox what's happening in your head. And he can, he can run a, a stream flow through there to clean it up. And that's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. And what's the outcome? Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Turn the page. Would you just go? I, I want to give you four outcomes. Here they are. Number one, therefore, since you've been justified through faith, we have peace. If you're taking notes, one of the outcomes is peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you get forgiveness of sin, you will sleep better. You will walk better. You'll have a, better, you'll have a cleaner conscience. You'll know, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to prove before a holy God. He already knows. And you'll be at peace. It's a wonderful gift that he gives you. It's one of the outcomes. The second is verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace which we now stand. You stand in a different relationship. So now you have peace but you have a new standing or a new relationship. It's a relationship, and, and so you have access. Before we were at distance from God. Now you have access to God. You have a different standing. So not only do you have peace, but you have standing, a new posture, a new way to stand. The temptation right here, right now, is for you to say, okay, I'm a sinner, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to try hard not to sin. You know what? I can, I can guarantee you you're going to fail. I just know. And you say, well, you don't understand. I have real high discipline. And I, yep, I know that. We are so broken outside of pleading the mercy of Christ, you have a zero chance of making it. It's not going to happen. You see, right now, some people are thinking, ah, you know, I've been attending church a long time, but you've never really given your life to Christ? Let me tell you, you're still in the futility side, in the foolish side. If you'll come to Christ, He'll begin to detox that sin and get you on a better path and give to you peace and a right relationship, right standing. If you just go home and try, that's moralism. That's just trying harder to be a better Christian. I want to be a better Christian. And you know what? I don't know what a better Christian looks like. All I know is outside of Christ and Christian. And if you're inside of Christ, it's because you've trusted, you believe in him, he paid for your sins, and you're headed to heaven, and now you have hope and a future. You have a different standing. You see, religion, get this, religion will always say, do, 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 do. That's what religion says. And relationship with Jesus says, done. Do you see the difference? Done. And it's not reliant upon you. 
because you could never shed your blood and pay for your own sins. But thanks to God in heaven, Jesus did that for you. He became your substitute on the cross, and that leads me to numbers three and four. You don't have to stay in the position of outside of Christ. You can simply trust him. Now, verse, um, end of verse two to go to verse three. And we, we boast in the hope that is in the glory of God. That's our third key is hope. Not only, uh, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. So not only do you get peace and right standing, thirdly, you get hope. How would your brain operate differently if you had hope? It would float differently. It'd be more buoyant, different spirit, different attitude, which you even attack problems or challenges in life. You see, at just the right time, verse 6, when we were still powerless, Christ died not for the good people, not for the do-gooders. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And here's the kingpin verse. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Get that. He died for us. So now you get peace, and then you get standing, right relationship. But then thirdly, you get hope. And fourth, you know, you know there's a God in heaven who loves you. You get love. And, and you'll never know that until you first believe. My concern is this, is that you could be attending SPC for a year or two, and yet you've never made the transition. You've been doing, 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 trying, 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 working, 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 and you know what? It doesn't work. Because your heart, your head are broken. So the best thing you can do is turn yourself into God and just say, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need the Savior. The day you do that, not only does he prepare a home for you in heaven, he begins to work on your head. And he will energize your brain to repent, to change, in a way you can't do on your own. You cannot do it on your own. Let's go to prayer. Would you bow with me? Why would you not run to the Savior? I do not know. But maybe you've never come to him before. And so our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and right where you're seated, you're, you're going to just talk to God in your own heart. And you come to him now and you settle it. You trust Christ and believe in him is the only solution to the problem. You just tell God in your heart, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've offended you and you're a holy God. I cannot make it right. But your son did that for me and I trust him now. I want him to be my savior. Romans is telling us that that is available to all who, all who trust in Jesus, all who believe in him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He hands it to you like a gift, and you receive it now. To some in the room, you already believe, but the struggle still continues. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. 
So your prayer might be, Lord, you've begun a good work in me, please finish it. I, there's duplicity, there's conflictedness. I flip-flop, I, I have trouble making decisions, I have trouble staying on the decision. Change my heart, would you, God? Make it true, heal my brokenness. You, you know, the Lord understands the emotional connection that you have to the information that you have, and you say, Lord, certain things take me to certain places. I don't want to go there mentally anymore. I would love to live full and free. I would love to be at peace, knowing I'm at right standing, that I have wonderful hope. And, Lord, I would, I would love to know that your arms are wrapped around me, that I am loved. I need that, and you promise it. So the work you began, would you do it in me? And we're going to pick up this study uh, as we're leaving it off today. I encourage you to come back next Sunday when we talk about what it means to give our lives fully to him. So Lord, uh, do a work in us. For some just coming to personal faith, others asking you to complete the work you're doing. Lord, we, we applaud you, we love you. Change your minds, would you? Begin with mine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.